I'm going to go back into the Old Testament and read for you today. And, uh, and I want you to stay with me now. The truth of it is, I do have a lot of notes. And so, how many people in here just give me 10 minutes to preach? you give me 10 minutes to preach? Anybody? Anybody? You're not, there's 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60. All right, I got enough time, I think. Uh, all day. There we go. Don't say that to me. You can't say that to me. I've done that in India. First year that I went to India, I got up, and they would preach, and then, and then pray, and then preach, and then pray, and then preach, and pray. And I mean, the service was going for five hours. I'm like, man, what is this? They didn't have any home to go to. They had no entertainment. They didn't have their little phones and tablets to play on the whole time. By the way, let's not be doing that up there. And uh, <laughs> Especially if your last name's Bunton. I can say that to y'all. I don't know the rest of you up there, you know, but the Bunton's, by gosh, no playing on the phones and tablets. It better be sending a message to Jesus, and he better respond. <laughs> oh man. First Samuel chapter 17. First Samuel chapter 17. Now when the Philistines, verse 1, now when the Philistines gathered, you know this story, their armies for battle, they were gathered at Sokah, which belongs to Judah. Even the place where the enemy comes against you belongs to praise anyway. So I'm just saying, Judah means praise. And they camped between Sokah and Ezekah and, and blah, blah, blah. And Saul and the men of Israel were assembled and camped in the valley of Elah. And they drew up in battle formation to confront the Philistines. Now they've drawn up in battle formation to confront the Philistines. Don't miss this. The Philistines were standing on the mountain on one side, while Israel was standing on the mountain on the other side, and in between them was a valley. Then a champion came forward from the army encampment of the Philistines named Goliath from Gath. His height was six cubits and a span, or essentially ten feet. So Noah's size, Noah's size, basically. <laughs> ten feet tall. This guy's ten feet tall. There's a reason that he was ten feet tall. We'll skip over that for a minute. And he had a bronze helmet on his head, and he wore scaled armor, which weighed 5,000 shekels of bronze. Now, by the way, his helmet probably weighed about 125 pounds. A 125-pound helmet. Good Lord. He also had a, a bronze greaves on his legs and a bronze saber slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and the head of his spear weighed 600 shekels of iron, and his shield carrier walked in front of him. I love this, that it goes through this long, arduous process of letting us know just how great the enemy is. And if we stop there, then we'll keep knowing just how great the enemy is. But because we know the end of the story, it just shows the power of God that it doesn't matter how big the enemy is that stands in front of you or what his armor is, you're going to come out victorious on the other side. He stood and shouted to the rakes of Israel and said to them, why do you come out to draw up in battle formation? Am I not a Philistine and you the servants of Saul? That was the problem. If they'd have been servants of God, that had been no match. But since they were ser servants of Saul, that was the issue in the beginning. Choose a man as your representative and have him come down to me. If he is able to fight me and kill me, then we will become your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall become our servants. Can't you just see it? Let's just fast forward because this ain't what I want to preach, but I want to give you this. This is type of what's going to happen just about 1,500 years in the future or 500 year, uh, 1,000 years in the future when Jesus stands on one hill and the enemy stands on the other hill. And the enemy says, if you can come and defeat me, then... We will serve you and your army. But if I defeat and the Lord says, I'll take that one all day. And all the armies of Israel stand back as Jesus goes and wins the victory. And we all get to enjoy it. Yeah. Now, see, you crazy. You can't let me not preach for six weeks and think I'm going to come here not loaded, but double barrel loaded. Then the Philistine said, I have defied the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man. Come on, somebody. Give me a man. Feels like the, there was an enemy shouting it, and there was also a Lord shouting it. Well, did you just give me a man? Give me a man. And the Lord found him a man after his own heart, by the way. We're going to talk about him. So that we may fight together. And when Saul and all of Israel heard the words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and very fearful. Punks. Now, David was the son of Jesse... Uh, of Bethlehem and Judah, and the man, or the man's name was Jesse, and he had eight sons. And Jesse was old in the days of Saul, advanced in years among men. 
The three older sons of Jesse had followed Saul to the battle. And the names of the three sons who had gone into the... Ain't no wonder that they stood on the sidelines and were coward, because Saul was the same thing. And you better watch who you put over, over ahead of you as a mentor, and you better watch who you follow as your leader, because if your leader cowers in battle, you're going to learn real good how to, how to cower. But if you've got a leader that'll stand with you and stand for you and say, oh no, not on my watch, they ain't going to be... The if you find yourself somebody like that, you might want to stick with them or her, depending on which the case is. Find you somebody that's been there and done that and can give you a little bit of insight. I'm preaching before I'm preaching, but I got too much to say. And his three sons who had gone into the battle were Eliab, the firstborn, and the second to him, Abinadab, and the third, Shammah. So David was the youngest. And one translation says the least. I like how God will take the least and make him the greatest. I like how God will take the last and make him the first. I like, I like how God will take the servant of all and make him the king over all. I like how God has a way of taking a slave and pulling him up out of a pit and making him ruler over Egypt. God has a way of taking a shepherd's boy and the anointing on his head attracts a crown, a crown of glory. God. Then Jesse said, 2017, to his son David, take now for your brothers an ephah of this roasted grain and ten loaves and run to the camp to your brothers. Bring also these ten slices of cheese. I like Jesse. Jesse can invite David to my house anytime. You bring me some bread and cheese and we're good. Bring also these ten slices of cheese to the commander of their thousand and look into the well-being of your brothers and bring back confirmation from them. For Saul and they, all the men of Israel, are in the valley of Elah fighting the Philistines. They aren't fighting nothing. They were over there cowering. You could hear their metal of their weaponry clanking together because they're terrified in fear. Their little knobby knees are shaking together. So David got up early in the morning and left the flock with the keeper and took the supplies and went as, oh, that's a good shepherd, ain't it? Good shepherd ain't going to leave the flock unattended. He left the flock with a keeper. If you know when I say, if I say David and you hear Jesus, we're good. You can hear that. David is a type of Jesus, the good shepherd. Jesus is the good shepherd, in case you didn't know. And if you didn't know, now you know. Glory, glory. And he came to the entrenchment encircling the camp while the army was going out into battle formation, shouting the war cry. Israel and the Philistines drew up in battle formation, army against army. My God, this is epic. Then David left the baggage. Somebody, you're going to fight a battle. You're going to have to learn to leave some baggage. Let somebody else deal with the baggage. It ain't your job. Your job is the battlefield. Leave the baggage to somebody else. I could, preach, I could preach every verse. In the care of the baggage keeper and ran to the battle line. My God, David left the baggage with the baggage keeper. Wish to God somebody would call, would hear their calling, would hear their purpose, would hear the, the enemy defying, say, can anybody defeat me? And say, I'm going to leave my baggage right where it is. In fact, I've heard plenty of baggage keepers. You can find them on Facebook about every day. You can have the baggage. I got war to do. Then David left the baggage in the care of the baggage keeper and ran to the battle line. And he entered and greeted his brothers. As he was speaking with them, behold, the champion. I like how they keep calling him the champion. The Philistine from Gath named Goliath was coming up from the army of the Philistines. And he spoke these same words and David heard him. It, it's a whole lot different when the enemy's challenge falls on the ears of somebody who's already defeated a lion and already defeated a bear. <laughs> when... I, <laughs> You know, I can, I, can, I can impart to you, I, I can impart to you gifts and I can impart to you healing and I can impart to you certain things, but I cannot impart to you my time alone with the Father. I can bring, bring bread and give you something to eat and feed you and I can bring you cheese. I can pour in oil and wine, but I cannot impart to you my time alone with the Father. You're going to have to get that for yourself. And the reason, the reason David's older brothers weren't worth a flipping battle is because they were following a coward and they didn't have enough time with a bunch of stinking sheep on the backside of a hill spending time alone, finding out just who he was. God. When all the men of Israel saw the man, they fled from him and were very fearful. And the men of Israel said, have you seen this man who's coming up? Surely he is coming up to defy Israel, and it will be that the king will make the man who kills him wealthy and of great riches, and will give him his daughter to make his father's house free in Israel. Now, you know David's ears perked up. He said, what? I don't know why my voice did that. That wasn't on purpose. <laughs> I need some money. What? I don't know how it did that, but okay. 
26, then David said to the men who were standing by him, what will be done for the man that kills this Philistine and rids Israel of this disgrace? The disgrace wasn't the Philistine. The disgrace was that the Israeli armies were afraid of this Philistine. So I'm going I'm to get rid of the Philistine and I'm going to get rid of the, the disgrace that has become the Israeli army. In the New Testament, Jesus is not only going to kill the devil and kill the enemy, he's going to wipe the shame off of the faces of his church so we can stand boldly before his throne. What's going to be done for the man who, rids this, uh, is, who kills this Philistine and rids Israel of this disgrace? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine? Circumcision, uncircumcision. Remember God told Abraham, this will be our covenant, and this will be the token of the covenant. So essentially he's saying, who is this that don't have a covenant that's challenging those of us that do? <laughs> I'm going to look at a bunch of new covenant church members and say to you, who is it that can challenge you that don't have a covenant when you're standing with the one that does? And your covenant is life, and your covenant is health, and your covenant is peace. So if you're not living with life, health, and peace, then you are living beneath your privilege as a new covenant citizen of his kingdom. Period. That's good news. If it ain't good news, it ain't the gospel. The last time I looked up the word good news, you won't believe this. It literally means, or gospel, it means good news. If they're preaching what they call the gospel, and you leave and you feel beat up, and you say, man, the preacher stepped on my toes today. That's not the gospel. That's fear-mongering. The gospel says, my God, I am more than a conqueror. I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. I didn't come to step on your toes. I came to get you on your feet to say there's not one enemy that can stand before me. Because Pop and me, we're a majority. My father used to say it this way, little is a lot when it's blessed by my pop. And so the people answered him in agreement with this statement saying, this is what's going to be done for the man who kills him. You're going to be set free. You're going to have riches. You're going to have wealth. The king's, oh, and by the way, the king's daughter, pretty good looking. You might want to look at her. I get her and I get all that and, it, and my family will be free. In other words, I'm going to marry into royalty. Now, Eliab, his oldest brother, heard him when he spoke to the men. And Eliab's anger burned against David. And he said, why is it that you have come down? Man, I'll tell you what. You got to watch out for them jealous brothers. I don't, I'm not talking about natural. I'm talking about you got to watch out. Every time that you stand up and begin to take a stand and, and know who you are and begin to challenge them, there's always going to be one of them jealous brothers that were too cowardice to do something themselves. Man, who do you think you are? Let me tell you who I think I am. I know who I am. And give me about 37 minutes. You're going to know who I am. In fact, all of Israel and all of the enemy's camp is going to know who I am. I am not the label that you have placed on me. The label was, can I stay right here for just a couple of minutes? I, got, I don't have a lot of time. I want to talk a minute about labels because we walk and live and move in a world, especially in Western culture, that is defined by labels. And it's not a new phenomenon. If you go into your New Testament, you can find a bunch of labels. Here's one of them. The woman with the issue of blood. Now you tell me while she was defined by her label, she lived more years without that issue than she lived with it. And yet we don't know her name. We just know she was the woman with the issue of blood. We know about the man with the withered hand. Should have been known as the man that used to have a withered hand. Because when he became in contact with Jesus Christ the righteous, the withered hand, it should have been the man whose hand was straightened out. But we label people. And if you, if you allow people to label you, you will walk around with your scarlet letter based on what you did or what they thought you used to be instead of walking into your purpose. But there was a man in the New Testament by the name of John. He said, I ain't going to be known by any label except John the Beloved, the one whom Jesus loves. Because when you find your identity in the fact that Jesus loves you, they won't call you John the un Anything else matters. And you won't be the man with the withered hand or the woman with the issue of blood. You will be, I am Joshua, the beloved of God. I am Holly, the daughter of the king. Somebody throw off the labels that people have put on you. David wore the label, the little runt, the little red-headed runt of the litter, but David said, I am not what you think I am. I am what he says I am, and I know what I can do, because my time alone in the shepherd's field, I proved it, and you're about to see it for yourself. Why? Because the battle belongs to the Lord. 
You better throw off them. Don't you dare let somebody label you. Well, if you knew what she did, you are not a human doing. You are a human being. And we all go through life. And the Bible says, according to Jesus, a righteous man will fall seven times. But if he fails seven times, he's going to get up eight. My God. It don't matter how many times you fall. Ask any boxing champion. Does it matter how many times you fall? Just as long as you get up one more time than you fail. <laughs> you ain't going to believe what she did. It don't matter. I can believe what he did. You better learn to throw off them labels. I don't have time to stay here. If I could, I would, but I don't have time. You better throw off them labels. You are what God says you are. And in case they didn't tell you around the corner behind their big, pretty pulpit, I'm going to tell you behind mine. You are a son and you are a daughter of God. He is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He paid on your behalf for you to live with life and life more abundantly, Mr. Summers. You have an inheritance coming to you, not because of what you did or didn't do, but because of what he did. You're, you, you inherit things because of what your father did. doesn't have a thing to do with what you just were born into it. Lucky you, you get, you get the benefit of what Papa paid for. Moving back on. Now, Eliab, the old, jealous, mean brother who was probably tall and really nice looking and strong, but he was a coward when it came to real battle. They, most of the time they are. The reason Eliab was jealous of David is because he too, was too much of a coward to do what David was going to do. And you can always find those people who talk bad about you when you're trying to move and work and do the things that God's called you to do. You can find out most of the time they're jealous because it's their own insecurity because they ain't never done nothing themselves. So if I can make you look bad, then it makes me feel better about myself because misery loves company. But I think I'm looking at a church that says, you want to waller in your own self-pity and let your shin guards clank together because you're afraid of the enemy? Go ahead and do it. I got too much life to live in me. There's too much of the Spirit of God inside of me. I will not be held by any situation or circumstance. Why is it you have come down, David? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I myself know your insolence and the wickedness of your heart. Now, last time I checked, the Bible, in the, in the chapter 4, chapter 16, is when God tells Samuel, how long are you going to weep over Saul, seeing that I have rejected him from ruling over the house of Israel? Rise up now and go to Jesse, the Bethlehemite's house, because from among his sons, I have found me a king, a man after my own heart. It don't matter what they say, it matters what he says. The, even your own brothers will say, you should have known the wickedness in his heart. He just cares about him and his own self. But God said, this is a man after my own heart. And the crown of glory is always attracted to a heart of humility. You better write it down. The crown of glory is always attracted to a heart of humility. In fact, the crown's never attracted to a head. It's always attracted to the heart. Well, that's a whole lot. You better post that. <clears throat> I know myself your insolence and the wickedness of your heart. And, for, and you have come down in order to see the battle. But David said, what have I done now? <laughs> what what have I done I mean I brought you bread and cheese what have I done now was it not just a question then he turned away from him to another and said the same thing and the people replied with the same words as before when the words that David spoke were heard they informed Saul and he sent for him I'm going to let you know that in the, in the near future God is going to let your name fall on the ears of somebody that can make a big fat difference in your life I'm going to do a little bit of preaching, doing a little bit of teaching, a little bit of prophesying because I got about 15 minutes to squeeze it all together. In the coming days, God is going to have your name fall on the ears of somebody that can make a big difference for you. Thank you. If you receive it, you can have it. And, and so Saul sent for David and David said to Saul, may no one's heart fail on account of him. Your servant will go fight this Philistine. Now let's flip back over one more time to chapter 16. It was in chapter 16. Don't, don't actually do it. A bunch of you, thank God you reached for your Bibles. I didn't know you carried them anymore. That's awesome. Back over in chapter 16, the Bible says that an evil spirit of the Lord. Look it up. It's in your King James Version. It's in a lot of other versions too, but I know you like that King James. Oh, Jimmy wrote it good. And so you flip over to 16 and it says that evil spirit of the Lord would come upon Saul and Saul would call for David and David would bring his harp and begin to play and what would happen but that the evil spirit upon Saul would leave at the playing of David God wasn't there to comfort Saul God was bringing David there to see what was going to be his new home in about one chapter or so uh, God set the whole thing up he set the whole thing up. David needed to be familiar with what was going to be his house and his kingdom and his rule 
May no one's heart fail on account of him. I'll go fight him. And Saul said to David, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight him. It, you know, that it, what it is is really weak, insecure leaders will always project upon their people their own feelings of insecurity. Saul wasn't able, and so he just assumed nobody's able. I'm the big one. I'm the great. I'm the dog. That's me. And so he projected upon David his own feelings of self-worthlessness and insecurities. You're not able to go and fight this. This Philistine, you're only a youth. Come on, little people, young people, look at me, wave at me. Those of you that ain't playing on your phone, I'm talking to you. I don't know if they are. I'm always just teasing about that. You're only a youth. Well, he was, he's been a warrior since his youth, and David said to Saul, let me tell you something. Here's, here's where it's going to rise up in David. He said, I'm going to tell you my testimony because you ain't heard it yet. In fact, my own brothers don't know about it. My brothers think that I'm, think that I'm insolent. But let me tell you something. This is what David says. Your servant was tending his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and took the sheep from the flock, I went out after it, and I attacked it, and I rescued the sheep from its mouth. And when it rose up against me, I grabbed it by its mane, and I struck it and killed it. You know how big Saul's eyes would have got? You did what? You attacked a lion? He literally says, I ran after it. And grabbed it. That's a cute story. I want you to see a four or five hundred pound lion growling at you with a sheep. He's a predator. He is the predator, the king of the jungle. And David runs up and grabs this thing by mane and kills it. You know what Saul's eyes looked like when I went to I went to Africa in 2000, 2000 or 2001, my very first time. And I was able to go out on a safari with Bishop Johnson and uh, uh, the Lutchman family had taken us out. And it, I don't know how it is now. It wasn't, it wasn't um, Kruger, but it was kind of like Kruger, 10,000 or so acres of just wild territory. It might have been 100,000 acres. And we get in this car, and we're driving out. It's actually their car, and I'm filming. And we're riding out in the middle, and so we pass some zebra, zebra everywhere. And we see giraffes. I mean, all these animals. I'm like, this is crazy. This is crazy. And finally, we got down to where the lions were. I'll tell you the story just so you. So we see the lions, and I've seen them in the zoo. You've been to the Ashboro Zoo. A domesticated lion is not exactly the same as a wild lion. I can tell you that right off the top. And they're not the same size. I have no idea. In fact, on video, you can hear me saying, God, they're big as cows. I mean, big old huge things. And there were five or six, and I've got on video, lionesses that had killed a zebra, and they were eating it. And, and they were here, we were in the car, they were to our right, and way over off in the shade was a, was a male lion. And I guess he decided he was hungry, so he gets up, he runs over to where the, the walks over to where the, the female lionesses are eating the zebra and grabs that thing by the neck and drags it and the five or six lionesses over to the shade on the tree where he wanted to eat. Now that's powerful. I, I mean, I, I said, good Lord, he's going to get him some. Talking about the horse. You know, and Bishop busted out laughing like, Josh, don't say that. You know, I was, I'm talking about the horse. He's going to get him some food. And uh, he thought I was talking about because there were six lionesses and the one lion's coming over. That's not what I meant. And he drags it. Did you say that in church? And he drags the, the zebra over and begins to eat it and just blood all over its face. And I mean, his head's this big. I'm just like, I've never seen anything so powerful physically in my life ever. And to think that David literally not only just defended the sheep, but that thing attacked him and he got mad and grabbed it by its mane and killed it. Did you know you're going to read later down in life, David goes through a whole lot of stuff. Bless David's heart, man. Thank God he had a heart after God's, a man after God's own heart, and he'd have been dead a long time ago. Later down, his, his, uh, Saul's going to try to kill him because Saul is jealous. And I'm just going to tell this part real quick. Saul's real jealous, and uh, his family has left him. And now he's, the Bible says he's in a cave with about three to 500 men that are basically vagabonds. And he can't go back home because Saul's going to kill him. And there's, there's armies all around him, and so he sits in, but he's, he begins to tell the stories like this one that I'm telling you this morning. Stories of conquest. Stories of defeating the lion and the bear. Stories of defeating Goliath. Stories of when Samuel with his, with his, with his hoary beard blowing in the wind brings a horn of oil and pours it on his head and anoints him king. He sits in a cave hiding with a bunch of vagabonds teaching him. With a, he, it was, I, I think the address was 188 South Shady Rest Road. And he was teaching them about some of his conquest. And here's what happens. The Bible says down the road that there was a man. And, they, and in fact, two men risked their lives to go get him just a cup of water from, from Bethlehem where he was born. You can read the story. It's beautiful. And there's one man that says, and this man went down and chased a lion into a pit on a snowy day. I love it. You've heard me preach it before. He chased a lion. Why did he chase a lion into a pit on a snowy day? Because he heard his master David talking about it. Now Saul's men were clanking in fear because Saul was a coward. But David's men had enough all down. If David can chase a lion down into the cave and defeat it, I think I can too. Let's fast forward to the New Testament and the realization of the type. If Jesus Christ can overcome death. 
If the spirit of him that raised up Jesus Christ from the dead cannot be held, if Jesus himself got up from a tomb and the same spirit lives in you, I see not just Jesus defeating the lion of death, but I look at a whole lot of new covenant men and women that says, if Jesus will defeat death, death can't defeat me, I'm going to take him down too. You should have clapped better than that. It was better and you know it. <laughs> Your servants killed both lion and the bear. It'll be the same with him. And this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them since he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, the Lord who saved me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear, he will save me from the hand of this Philistine. So Saul said to David, go and may the Lord be with you. Then Saul did something that a lot of church people do, especially church preachers. Then Saul clothed David with his military attire. Now I'm going to tell you how to fight him. If I were David, I'd be like, man, how do you know to fight him? You're too much of a coward to get out there and do it. You're going to give me your garment? As a, you're going to give me your fighting weapons? I mean, it's probably, it's probably still sharp because you ain't bothered to use it. Saul says, he clothes him with his military attire and puts on a bronze helmet on his head and outfitted him with armor. And David strapped on his sword over his military attire. And he struggled at walking because David wasn't a military man. David was a worshiper. What did you say this morning, Robin? This is how I fight my battles. For the 19 of you that are with me. David strapped his sword and he couldn't walk over his military time. He struggled at walking. If you try to put someone else's weapon of warfare on and it's not something that you've tested, your walk is going to be different. You ain't going to be able to do a thing because that's not the way God called you. And a whole lot of times, like yours truly, in life we grow up thinking we got to do it like this guy did it or like that guy did it. And the Lord really just wants genuine authenticity. It, it wasn't going to be a sword that was going to kill Goliath anyways. I'm going to tell you in a minute what it's going to be. And so David finally got some sense and says, I cannot go with these. I've not trained with them. So David took them off. He took them off, verse 39. Then he took his staff in his hand and chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook and put them in the shepherd's bag, which he had, that is, in his shepherd's pouch. I'm highlighting the word shepherd because so did they. Not just in his bag and not just in his pouch, but put him in his shepherd's bag and put him in his shepherd's pouch. And he approached the Philistine. Then the Philistine came and approached David with the shield bearer in front of him. When the Philistine looked and saw David, he was contemptuous of him. For he was only a youth and reddish with a handsome appearance. So essentially it was Eli. <laughs> or Gabriel. I don't know why they kind of look alike, but essentially, you know. So the Philistine said to David, am I a doll that you came down with to me with sticks? I looked at him and said, yeah, you're a Gentile. You're a Philistine. You're a dog. And dog don't stand a chance with a lion and a bear. And I whipped both of them. The Philistine also said to David, come to me and I'll give your flesh to the birds of the sky and the wild animals. But David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword and a spear and a saber. But I come to you with a shepherd's. Wait a minute. No, he didn't say that. You come to me with a spear and a sword and a shield, but I come to you with a, with a sling. Is that what he said? Talk back to me, somebody that knows the Bible, that's read it three or four times. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of armies, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will hand you over to me, and I will strike you and remove your head from you. Good God Almighty. Then I'm not just going to kill you. I'm going to remove your head. You'll no longer have any sort of authority. I'm going to remove your head from your shoulders. Anytime you read shoulders in the Bible, you should think of governmental authority. Then I will give the dead bodies of the army of the Philistines this day to the birds of the sky and the wild animals of the earth. So that all Israel may know that there is a God in Israel. They surely didn't know it from Saul and they didn't know it from the army. But they're about to know it from a little shepherd boy that, had, that was after God's own heart. And, this, uh, and that this entire assembly may know that the Lord God does not save by sword or spear. For the battle is the Lord. Say back to me. The battle is the Lord's. It's hot in here. Can we turn the air on? Is it just me? It's, it's hot in here. My God. The battle... Look at Joey. He jumped up just like that. I got it. The battle is that he's about to spontaneously combust. Lord, we just send coolness to him right now in Jesus' name. 
Then it happened when the Philistine came closer to meet David. Oh, he, I'm sorry. He will hand you over to us. Not to me, to us. Not to me. I love how David's just including all the armies. They ain't doing nothing but a bunch of sick little cowards. But David's going to win the victory and let everybody celebrate it with him. Then it happened when the Philistine came closer to meet David that David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand into his bag and took from it a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. And the stone penetrated his forehead, his forehead, his forehead. It looks like to me like David put his mark on the Goliath's forehead, but whatever. In the stone, a bunch of people honestly think the vaccine is like the mark of the beast. I'm like, God, people are dumb. I hope you didn't think that. I know I said that out loud. That's not what that's talking about. God, please don't think the vaccine is the mark of the beast. For the love of God, you need an eschatology makeover. Eschatology is the study of last things, the study of end times. I'm not saying to get it or not get it. That's between you and God. I would definitely say read about it before you make a decision. Make your decision, and it's your body, your choice. You do you. But that is not the mark of the beast. So stop messaging me and say, oh, my God, does this mean the Antichrist is coming? There's, there was some antichrist in your messages being sent to me privately. Antichrist means anything other than or opposed to. The spirit of antichrist in the New Testament, the Bible says, is already at work. But I'll leave that for another time. Because I know I just blew your mind. Come back to me to the Old Testament with David. You like David. I can preach David. Then it happened when the Philistine came close to meet David. David ran out and, and the stone penetrated his forehead and he fell up on his face to the ground. So David prevailed over the Philistine with the sling and the stone. He struck the Philistine and killed him, and there was no sword in David's hand. Then David ran and stood over the Philistine and took his sword, took the own Philistine's sword. My God, the Lord will let you take the weapon. The very thing, it, the weapon might be formed, but it ain't going to prosper. In fact, the only way it prospers is when God lets you take the weapon formed against you and cut the heads of the one that tried to kill you. And he stood over the Philistine, took his sword, and drew it out of his sheath, and finished him, and cut off his head with it. And when the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. Then the men of Israel, Judah, rose up and shouted. Why? Because they finally saw, oh, it can be done. I've seen in that guy a spirit of can do. They rose up and shouted. They pursued the Philistines as far as the valley and to the gates of Ekron. The first time I read it, I thought it said, uh... Eckerd, like Eckerd Drug. Y'all remember Eckerd Drug? And the Philistines dead, laying along the way to Sharim, even to Gath and Ekron. Then the sons of Israel returned from their close pursuit of the, of the Philistines and plundered their camps. They got all the gold and all the silver and all the stuff. And David took the Philistines' head and brought it to Jerusalem. He picked his thing up, but he put his weapons in his tent. We'll talk about that later. Now, when Saul had seen David going out against the Philistine, he said to Abner, the commander of the army, Abner, whose son is this young man? And Abner said, by your life, O king, I don't know. I ain't got a clue. I didn't know anything about him, and I don't know anything about his daddy. Everybody's about to know. And the king said, you then, ask whose son the youth is. So when David returned from killing the Philistine, Abner, who was the captain of the army, of the, of the army took him and brought him before Saul with the Philistine's head in his hand. So here's David. Imagine little David. Here he comes, this head about this big. He's dragging it in. You want to see me, king? He picks up this big hand and slaps it down the table and sloshes it across the table. Here you go. I told you I'd kill him. And Saul's beady-eyed like, what? You actually did it. What in the world? Just slushy blood and guts everywhere from that head. I'm trying to create the picture for you. And David answered, I'm the son of your servant, Jesse the Bethlehemite. Now, I want to get to my point. David said, for the battle is the Lord's. And most of the time when we read that or when we recite that or when we hear that, we think and equate the battle being the Lord's with the victory being the Lord's. But there's a reason that David didn't just say the victory is the Lord's. He would have been okay and truthful to say in that. But the truth of it is, David said, the battle is the Lord's. Why would David take the time to say the battle is the Lord's? What if it was for this reason, David already knew about David what God knew about David, but that nobody else knew about David. David had no problem with Goliath because David alone with a bunch of stinking sheep in, at South Shady Rest Road. No, I'm just kidding about that. None of y'all are stinky sheep. A couple of you are, but most of you aren't. Just kidding. 
David already knew, I'm not afraid of this Philistine. I killed a 500-pound lion, and I killed a bear. I'm not afraid of him. But nobody else knew about it. So the Lord, I can, can't you just see God sitting thinking, you know what? I need to set David up because what I really want is I've watched him in private, and I've heard his cries alone, and I've heard his worship when nobody else saw it. He didn't need a stage when he was worshiping. He was worshiping in his house by himself when nobody knew what was happening. I watched him when he was at the point of death, but he believed in me, and he loved the sheep so much that he was willing to lay his life down for the sheep and sacrifice his life for the lion. And so I just blew my spirit into him in that moment. <sighs> And my spirit came upon him, and he took his hands and killed a lion. You can't do that. A, a man cannot kill a lion with his bare hands. That's not normal. But, and I saw him when he was protecting my sheep. And because he was doing such a good job, he should have been eaten by the bear. But I blew upon David. And my spirit came upon him in that moment. And he was energized with my spirit. And he but the problem that I've got now is I've got a man in the, in, the, in the place of authority. I've got a man in the place of control, and he doesn't honor me. In fact, he's never even asked one time. Time. He, by the way, Saul would rule 40 years and not one time did he ever ask about the Ark of the Covenant that the sons of Eli had taken and lost to the Philistines in battle. Because Saul never cared about the presence of God. Saul cared about making himself look good. And as long as you're under, my God, as long as you care more about making yourself look good than you are after the heart of God, you're going to lose whatever it is that you think you have. But God is looking for someone that's after his own heart. That in the privacy of your own home, he's breathed upon you and you were able to kill a lion. And in the privacy of your own home, putting your life at risk and knowing everything and everybody's against you. But I ain't going to let those two little sheep that live with me I'm not gonna let them die I'll put my life at risk and God says I've got to find a way to get the man that's after my heart to take the place of the man who's had knowledge of me but is far from me so here's the tool that God pulls out of his bag. He said, I got a tool for this. I got a tool to elevate people that no one's ever heard of before. And I've got a tool that's going to put people in a places of authority that nobody should think they would ever go. My little tool is called a battle. I'm going to set it up because the battle's mine. So I'm going to set them up so what I know about them and what they know about themselves, everybody's going to see them get a victory because the battle's mine in the first place. The battle was always mine, but the victory belongs to us. But I've got a battle for him. I've, I'm not going to let, I didn't forsake David with the lion, and I didn't forsake him with the bear. I'm not going to forsake him with Goliath, but I need to get all of Israel to see there's a man after my heart. God Almighty. So here's the tool I got for him. I loved her enough that I knew I could trust her and all hell was going to break loose and she was going to lose a whole lot of stuff that she never thought she would lose and yet she would remain faithful. And I'm going to put her in a battle and when she overcomes, all of Israel will say, nothing will stand before her. I'm going to take something from her that she thought she would never lose. But she stood faithful at the point of death on her carport. I was there and I watched her say, I will not forsake the worshiping of my God. So I'm going to put her in a battle that no Nobody thinks that she can win. Am I talking to anybody? It's my tool. And the battle's mine. And I'm going to give it to them. And everybody thinks they're going to lose. And everybody thinks they're going to crawl up under a rock and die. And everybody thinks that I'm done and that they're done. But the truth of it is, I'm going to reveal what's been in their heart the whole time. It's going to be revealed not just to them because they knew on their carport and they knew living off the old mountain road that I was with them. But now I'm going to put them up in a place that everybody's going to see. I'm prophesying to somebody. The battle is the Lord's and the victory is mine. Somebody better say it with me. The battle's the Lord's. The Lord had to find a way to get David to win a victory in front of everybody. So David runs after the giant. It's illogical. It makes no sense. Why in the world, David, are you going to do And you're going to have the brothers and the sisters. I'm going to put that in quotations because if they're not for you, then, they, then they're not for you. And if they're not for you, they, you know, they might be outlaws and there's in-laws. But then there's some that will stand with you or some that will talk about you. You'll have somebody that say, well, if she hadn't have done that, she wouldn't be in this. And if he hadn't done that, he wouldn't be. But you keep your eyes focused and you keep your face. Set your face like a flint. It ain't no come hell or come high water. I'm chasing after him. And 
And so David runs after the Philistine. The Bible says when he lets go of the rock, the wind of God, because God wants to partner with you. God ain't going to fight the battle for you, but he's going to give you the victory. My God Almighty. Even in the New Testament, what did the Bible say? The Spirit of God working with them, with signs and wonders following. The Spirit of God is looking for someone that he can work not for, but with. You're not going to stand back and watch God do it, and God ain't going to step back and make you do it by yourself. But if you'll ever reach into your pouch, into your shepherd's pouch, I said that multiple times because it's, 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 it's evident that the Bible needed to emphasize that it was a shepherd's pouch. And the reason that it emphasizes a shepherd's pouch is because David's heart was to protect the sheep. And God saw Israel as his flock, and he didn't need a king in the first place. What he really wanted was a shepherd. <laughs> and that's why Jesus, the king of kings, would look and say, I am the good shepherd. I'm sorry. I don't care if I'm a mess. You just get over it. I ain't been up here in six weeks. And David, whew, he lets the rock go, and just the moment they lets it go, the Spirit of God catches it and says, I'm going to accelerate this thing. You better hear me. I'm talking prophetically. Read between the, I'm going to accelerate this thing. It, it, there's no way a rock should have killed a 10-foot giant with a helmet on, but the Bible says it didn't hit him in the head. Penetrated his head. I'm going to, the wind of God took the rock of David and put it right in the forehead, the seat of a thorn, right in the mind of the enemy. And that rock was seated in Goliath's mind, and when they, David took his head off and he sloshed his ugly, bloody head, to Saul, he, he, if I'd have been dead, I'd be like, look in his forehead. That's what killed him. The sword didn't kill him. What killed him was that rock. Look, it's in plain. And Goliath was buried with the rock that killed him inside his forehead. <laughs> the rock of my salvation <laughs> took a rock, took a smooth pebble and put it in the head of my enemy. And he lived and he died with it and he lives with it or it stayed in his head to this day. <sighs> the crown of authority is not attracted to the head, but to the heart. I'm going to say a few things and I'll let you go. Because I still have like five pages of notes and I just don't have time. And I don't think I got throat left to do it. Once the silent battles, once you understand that your silent battles were simply training for reigning. Once God finds a man or a woman that will run after Heart after his heart. He'll begin training him. God might even send a pet lion to you. What? Oh, yeah. You better go read Job. If you never read the book of Job, it'll blow your mind. God talks to the birds and God talks to the lions and he talks to the bears. And the tigers, oh my. <laughs> God might have to send you a pet lion. I'm going to say some stuff that's going to mess with the theology a little bit. That's okay. It needs to be messed with. The enemy that you call Satan is not the equal opposite of God. He's a dog on a leash. The Bible says in the New Testament, your, your enemy, not God's enemy. Who can be God's enemy? Who can challenge God? Are you kidding me with this? Not God's enemy. Your enemy, the devil, the adversary. Devil, adversary. Satan means the accuser. Maybe not a person. Maybe it's more about the voice in your head that always says, well, you're going through it because you did this. And God says, I'm going to unleash this lion. I'm going to let it go to the Condes house. I'm going to train her because she's going to reign. And I'm going to unleash this bear. I'm going to send it into Sarah's house. Bear, go. Do what you're supposed to do. Maybe God will unleash his pet lion or his pet bear. You say, you don't have Bible. I know that I've got Bible for it. We can sit and talk about it. Now you've been tested, David. Now that your heart is after God and everybody knows it, now that you know what you can do, God says it's time for a setup. There's about to be a major glow up in his kingdom. And I have just the battle to make it happen. What? God, are you kidding me? He's not kidding you. Remember the battle is the Lord's. Fighting Goliath was not just for David's benefit. It was showtime and God was the director. And he was going to show all of Israel their new king. They were about to see what only God and David knew. David's brothers didn't know, and sometimes your own family have no clue the battles that you faced. And sometimes those closest to you will mock you when you tell them what you're about to do or what you're capable of. But don't you let their jealousy stop you. The battle isn't theirs. The battle is the Lord's. Somebody say the battle is the Lord's. And he has the perfect battle picked out for you so your friends and family can see who you really are. Good God. And don't let those who think that they 
understand warfare, put their religious garb on you. Hey, David, David, this is what worked for me when I fought. If Saul's armor was so wonderful, why wasn't he using it to kill Goliath? Beware the people who want to tell you how to fight when they're hiding from the very, very battlefield you're about to take. Don't you take advice. I can tell you what you do right here. You've never been through a thing in your life. You've never been through nothing. Why don't you just sit down and shut up? Did you say that in church? Somebody needs to get real with you. For, for once in your life, you don't need a preacher with this three-piece suit and tie scaring you to death about you wrapping your car around a tree and you might go to hell. You need somebody to tell you what you can do, who you really are, and level. Can we, can we be done with the religious trash and speak real today? Don't you go get your information from somebody who was born, who never been, just leave it at that, that's never been through a thing. You better find somebody that's been through some stuff. You better find somebody that's got some battle scars. You got somebody that said, let me tell you something. I've been there and I know what it's like. I sat down 20 years ago with Jesse Slade, 350 pounds of joy in Florida. Hadn't told him a thing about the hell that I had just recently been through with my now wife, who was not my wife at the time. And I was falling apart and he scooted his little chair, big chair, he's a big guy. He scooted his chair beside me in first assembly down in Lake City, Florida, and he put his big arm around me like a grandfather would. Really one of the only grandfathers I knew. All of mine were either drunk or dead most of their lives. My, one was dead when I was eight, the other when I was ten, and I didn't see most of them. And he put his big grandfatherly arm around me and he whispered in my ear. I'll never forget, he said, I know what you're going through. And let me tell you something, son. God's faithful. You don't have to worry about it. Just, just whispered in my arm. I walked in the same church building. The stage was on the side, and a man named Sidney Smith, who was a real prophet of God, if there ever was one, looked at me and said, God always rewards faithfulness, son, always. I watched as a six-foot-four-inch Kelly Varner walked in. I carried his books in because I refused to let him carry his own books. In the same way that I refused to let Charles Johnson carry his own bags and camera. In the same way that I refused to let Tony Button, as stubborn as he was, work on paint or remodel his own church. I'm going to do it for you. I don't care about being there. You're not doing this. I'm going to do this. And I watched Kelly Varner come in, and he said, all I have to give you is everything I've got. And he handed me a stack. He said, that's everything I've ever written, and I'm praying for you, and God's got you. You better find you somebody that's been through some things. Find you some, the last, when the last time you spoke at a church, he said it's been the best of times and the worst of times all at the same time. Can anybody identify? Sometimes it's the best of times and worst of times all at the same time. You better find you somebody that's been through. Don't you take advice someone who's cowering in a corner and that's never faced anything. They don't have anything but a bunch of blah, trash they read in a book or when they went to seminary to tell you, well, this is what the professor said. I don't care what the professor said. Have you been through anything? No, I haven't been through anything, but I mean, I studied I went to college about this let me ask you if you're going into a surgery do you want a tried tested and proven surgeon or somebody just came out of college and read some stuff in a book the same thing goes for spiritual mentorship. You better find somebody that's been through some stuff. You better find somebody that'll say, I'll sit with you because I know what it's like. I've been broken and I've been at the point of death and I've been called a dead man walking. But if you'll stay with me, I'm going to help you through this. You better find yourself, yoke yourself up with an old ox that's been through some stuff. Don't you join yourself to a cowardly saw that ain't done nothing. Ain't done nothing. Whew. Don't let those who think that they understand warfare put their religious garb on you. Saul clothed David with his military attire and put bronze on his helmet. Anyways, I'm going to move on down because I don't have more time to read the... I will read it. I cannot go with these because I've not trained them. And David took them off. Then he took his staff in his hand and chose for him five smooth stones from the brook. Oh, my God. It's already 1220. I'm so sorry. Put them in the shepherd's bag, which he had. That is his shepherd's pouch and his sling. I'm coming on down. The emphasis is on the word shepherd. God doesn't want someone to rule over his people, but a shepherd who will guard them and look after them and protect them. That's why a lot of the big box churches that you see are about to fall because God is done with Saul's. He's looking for some Davids. You, you heard it here first. Not taking shots, but if it, but I'm going to call a spade a spade, and I'm going to call a saw a saw. If you're going to one of the big box churches where the pastor don't know your name and ain't never going to know your name, and all he's good for is to tell you how to fight the things that he ain't never fought himself, you might, you're going to find in the days to come, those places, God is done with those. In fact, he hadn't been there in a long time anyways. It's mostly hype, and God's going to bring you to someone that will shepherd your heart. Sorry, got to say it. I don't like having to say stuff like this, but he makes me. God is looking for some Davids, some shepherds that will defend the sheep, not just use them for their wool. 
I'll say it again. I'll look you right in the face and tell you again. God is looking. For, I looked at a pastor recently and told him essentially this very thing. God's looking for actual shepherds. Actual shepherds, not people that'll shear the sheep until they got nothing left and sell their wool and forget about the sheep when it's all said and done. God's, God is done with that, and there is a judgment coming upon those men and women. But I ain't one that gossips. You ain't heard that from me. Now we come to the battle, a battle set up by God so all of Israel, including Saul, would see about David, but only God and David knew. All of Israel and all the Philistines watch as David and Goliath take center stage. To be sure, God did not fight David's battle. As David stood back and watched, it was a partnership. God, David slings the stone, and the wind of God carried it and sunk into the enemy's forehead, and he fell upon his face. He fell forward upon his face. Can you picture this 10-foot undefeated giant lying prostrate at the shepherd's boy's feet? Can you see your enemy in a posture of reverence at your feet? Can you see your biggest enemy laying down prostrate in reverence at your feet? Because it's coming. That big thing that you've, that big thing that's defied you most of your life, and that big thing that you don't think there's a victory for, God puts you in the battle because He knows that that enemy is going to lay down worshiping at your feet. Then David cuts off the head of the giant, not to kill him. The scripture is clear the enemy was already dead. But to, to display before all of Israel, the battle is the Lord's, but the victory is mine. God. When the once frightened army saw David's victory, they chased after and slew the Philistines. You never know how many people will be inspired by your victory. Not just the army that day, but years later, the generations talk about David's victory. In fact, it's still my favorite Bible story to this day. I love and have always loved David and Goliath. None of that would have been possible without David's battle with Goliath. But the battle was and is the Lord. So what is your battle today? William, come play this keyboard. What is your battle today? And who is watching the battle that you're facing? You may have children watching and your victory will become theirs. God. It may look like what you're facing is insurmountable odds, but the battle is the Lord's. It may appear that you cannot win, but the battle is the Lord's. Sickness may be laughing at you at the moment, but the battle is the Lord's. You may be staring at financial ruin, but the battle is the Lord's. They said you were going to lose your mind, but the battle is the Lord's. They said you would never recover from a broken marriage, but the battle is the Lord's. They said your son would never get right with God but the battle is the Lord's they said your son would stay strung out on drugs but the battle is the Lord's they said your past will catch up to you but God the battle is the Lord's it doesn't matter what they said God has pulled his tool belt out and said I got a battle for you because I'm setting you up it's a setup so that you can rule and reign with me you better stop cursing your, you better start cursing, stop cursing your battles and stop crying every time you face something. It's God's faith in you. I love the movie, The Counts of Monte Cristo. And just as the, the, the old priest, if you don't know the story, it's a prison break and they're both in prison and he finds himself an old man who's been through some stuff. He reminds me of Charles Johnson. Just look at him with his white beard. And just as the priest is about to die because, because the count just feels, he feels neglected and he feels alone. He thinks God's forgotten about him and he's scratched off the wall the Lord will have his revenge and he's done with God and he looks as the priest is dying and the priest says go and do good with it God's with you and he said I don't believe in God and the priest says it doesn't matter he believes in you yeah. it never mattered so much that you believed in God you need to hear that he believes in you yes you have to believe in God but until you first know he believes in you you don't really believe in God you just repeated a story and you know paid your fire insurance so you could stay in church and be a part of the club you know with the boys where are my Davids where are those that will chase after God with all the hearts where are those of you that have won private battles that nobody knows about God's got seats of authority that need to be filled now I'm going to talk a little prophetic to you. There are people in seats of authority and governmental seats in this city and in the counties and in the states and in the, in, the, in, the, in the nations. And God is looking for men who would chase after him with all their heart. He's going to set you up so that you can take those places and rule, not, not with a rod of iron, but with the heart of a shepherd. Who can God trust the battlefield to? Where are my Davids? Let's all stand. I'm done. Sorry. Thank you for bearing with me. I know I'm late. Oh, you're saying the battle is the Lord's. In other words, if I come into a battle, it may have been God that set it up the whole time. It's exactly what I'm telling you. 
You mean when I get to that battlefield and the enemy that stands before me looks insurmountable and undefeated, that God was the one that set that thing up and he set it up so everybody else could find out something about me that I already knew but that, that they didn't know? That's exactly what I'm telling you. You mean to tell me Goliath ain't going to kill me? You mean to tell me this? You mean to tell me cancer can't take my life? And you mean to tell me that this broken marriage ain't going to kill me? And you mean you mean you tell me there's more life ahead of me? And, and what if I were to tell you you've got more life ahead of you than you've got behind you? What if I were to tell you your best days are just ahead of you? What if I were to tell you that God has got a throne with your name on it? What if I were to tell you that the, the crown of glory is attracted to a heart that chases after God, not a head that thinks it is something? The battle is the Lord's, and the victory is mine. And by the way, the Lord already knew the victory was going to be David's. That's why he set him up. Father, in this place, there are at least dozens of people who have walked into a season where it seems like, to those of us around, they are facing undefeatable giants, insurmountable odds. We've come into a place where if people knew the hell that that we had been through in our private place alone, they would never say an evil word about us the rest of our lives. There are people in this place that have faced such utter uh, defeat and such utter uh, uh, turmoil, Lord, that if, if most people knew the stuff that they had been through, they wouldn't believe it if they were told. I know there are people that have laid at the point of death in this church that were a breath away from eternity because they felt hopeless and they felt helpless. And yet in that moment, somehow, some way, there was a shepherd or there was a word or there was something that showed up and said, nah, you ain't going nowhere on my watch. This bear ain't killing you on my watch. This lion ain't going to have you on my watch. I know that I'm talking to some, and at this moment I'm asking them to join me up to the front. You can stand, you can sit, you can kneel, whatever you want to do. But come on, if I'm talking to you, if, if you've come to a place in your life where it's, the, it's, a, it's a sickness or it's a relational issue, and you know, you, you know that without God, without the Spirit of God, you ain't making another day, I want you to join me up to the front. It might be one, there might be 100, it doesn't matter, but join me up at the front. battle was the Lord's. I can't imagine that the very first time David had to fight a battle that he wasn't a little bit afraid. I mean, it is illogical and abnormal for a man to fight a lion. But I bet you after he slew the lion when the bear came, he's like, wait a minute. I bet God can do it again. (laughs) How many of you up here with me said, man, I'm facing some stuff, but God's done it for me one other time. And I know if he can do it for me then, I trust and believe that he can do it again. Come on, I, try, I believe that he can do it again. He's Do it again, Lord. He's the God of do it again. Father, as they stand up here with me right now in the name of Jesus, in the glory of your presence and the anointing upon which, uh, under which I'm operating, because the Spirit of the Lord is upon me for this reason, I anoint their heads right now, Miss Laura and Henry. I anoint all their heads right now in the name of Jesus and believe for an impartation, Father, of a can-do spirit, of a I ain't done spirit, of a my best days are ahead of me spirit, or it doesn't matter what they said about me, I'm going to move forward spirit, of cancer don't have a prayer when it comes to me being a son of God, when I'm going to stand behind my husband and watch him fully recover. In the name of Jesus, I thank you and impart this to them. I thank you for Lee in the name of Jesus. Leukemia doesn't even have a prayer when it stood up against the name of Jesus Christ. So I speak to leukemia to die in his body that he would make a full recovery and he would stand and testify they thought the lion would take me but it couldn't take me because the spirit of God's got me I feel the heaviness it's, it's, it's not just the heaviness of his presence and it's that, but I can feel somebody's heart like God you're almost afraid to believe again because you've been so disappointed I just want you to believe one more time. Open your heart one more time.
Let God move upon you one more. Give him one more chance. Get that stone out of your pouch and put it in your sling and begin to whirl it. Begin, just see what God can do. God can take down a giant with a little tiny stone. Surely he can take down your giants with a word from the Lord. That's what David said. You come to me with a spear and a sword, but I come to you in the name with the word of the Lord. Lord, I declare the spirit of victory over your people. Let them remember the small battles. Let them remember the victories that they got over the small battles that have set them up and prepared them and brought them to this place. Let this be a place that said that there was a man in there. Man, there was a guy in that true vine that ran after that lion and slew him. He tore the lion's head off in a, in a, in a pit on a snowy day. And let there be said of true vine. Man, there's some women down there that it looked like their lives was over and God raised them up and set them in front of nations and now they teach and preach girls. Let it be said of true vine. That man should have died with leukemia, but God raised him up and he stood up and said, I don't know how, but Jesus did it. Let it be said of true vine. I don't, my God. Let, there be, let this be a place of legacy for your kingdom. Let the, I feel that so heavily. Let this be a place of legacy. It already is, but let, I want it to be a legacy not for the ones just here, but for the surrounding communities. Let it be a place, man, if you go to that place, it's going to change your life. You go to that place, you're going to stomp all over the enemy's head. I thank you, Jesus, that the battle belongs to you and the victory belongs to us. As we leave this place in your presence, as we leave this place in your glory, Help us to always be mindful that you partner with us. And any time that we come into insurmountable circumstances, that maybe it's not just something that just happened, but maybe it's you preparing us for the new place of destiny and the new place of reigning that we're going to sit with you until the kingdoms of this world become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, let's give Jesus a hand to this morning. Come on. Come on, if you believe him for it, give him a hand.